Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Kelsey. And Jeff, and we are here to tell you a bit about our partner Anchor. We know that you're a fan of this podcast and maybe you thought, hey, I want to make a podcast too. Well, we have great news for you guys. We want to tell you all about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast for a few reasons, but to start out, it's free. Plus, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Plus, you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do it, you guys, and enjoy the show. I'm on a journey to get better, and I want to do it with you. And I'm not just focusing on physical health. I'm focusing on everything, emotional wellness, spirituality, finances, relationships, and so much more. Every week, it will be my personal goal to bring us, the world's leading healers, experts, and game changers, to share groundbreaking secrets and tips to getting better in all areas of life. Getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when we can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Manu. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. That's what we do here every single day. Today is not really today. (laughs) We are pre-taping this episode on another day for you so that after the holidays, you have something to watch and listen to to make you feel like it's a, a normal week, maybe help you get through 
this uh, holiday period. Um, some some people are having great holidays. Some people are not. So sometimes these shows are a way to escape the not so great. Uh, today we have a really great interview for you guys that I'm really excited to share. And uh, I taped it during the crisis with my parents being in the hospital with COVID, and I made time for it for a specific reason. And that was because in the New York Post, there was an article about this breakthrough in uh, glioblastoma, which is what my mom has, stage four brain cancer. And Jeff jumped on it, found the doctor in like two seconds, and uh, he was available. And so we did the interview and we taped it and said, okay, we're going to run this at a later moment, but I needed to just lock that interview in and get it done because I wanted answers for my mom and I wanted answers for your moms or your dads or yourself, whoever it is that's suffering with this disease. So Dr. Dan Peer is uh, a researcher from Israel. His breakthrough research in glioblastoma um, talks about a new approach to gene therapy that's killing cancer from the inside out. It's pretty unbelievable. And it also um, is working, I think it was ovarian cancer, right, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah, metastic ovarian as well. And this research was all done in rats, but um, they're hoping to move to human trials within the next couple of years. So yeah, it's crazy. It's pretty amazing. But also his research was essential to the creation of the COVID vaccine. So um, I think it's a really interesting um, listen. And it's rare that we get to like really talk to researchers who are doing these things. Like a lot of times you get the press release, you hear about it and you're like, Oh my God, there's like a new cure for this. And then everyone in your family texts you. And it was funny when my family was texting me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah we already got him. He's going to be on the show next, next week or something. It was like funny. But, um, I think this is, um, really amazing for hope for people who, are dealing with glioblastoma. It's unfortunately one of the deadliest cancers. Um, and, uh, you know, we've beaten the odds with my mom. She's a miracle, but that's not always the case. But I do tell everyone, you better hope for your miracle and you better believe that it's possible. And so I feel like what we've done with my mom has given a lot of people hope. And so hopefully <laughs> Dr. Dan Pierre can hurry up his his trials and get this get this therapy out for everybody. So without further ado, here is my chat with Dr. Dan Peer. Let's get to our interview with Professor Dan Peer. He is the award-winning director of the Laboratory of Precision Nanomedicine at Tel Aviv University and vice president for research and development at Tel Aviv University. He holds more than 120 pending and granted patents and holds scientific advisory board membership in more than 10 companies and 15 journals. His staggering new research uses targeted proteins to venture into and kill cancer cells, providing hope to many suffering from terminal cancers like glioblastoma. You all know uh, by now my mom has been fighting glioblastoma for over four years, so of course this is very fascinating to me. Uh, Dr. Dan Peer, I know I'm going to call you Dan from here on out, but thank you so much for joining us all the way from Israel. Thank you. So you... Of course. You know, your um, your journey into research is an interesting one. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got into this. Well, historically, I lost both my parents to cancer. And this was a really great motivation to, uh, you know, to work in this field. 
So I tried to do my best at least to find new ways and new therapies um, and try to help patients. Yeah, I heard that you had, you know, obviously when you're thinking of what you're going to do, as a doctor, you could only treat thousands, but as a researcher, you felt like you could affect millions. Tell me a little bit about that decision. So, you know, when I was around 18 years old and I lost my mother to cancer, I always wanted to be a physician because I thought that physician, it's really a, a really an important occupation. You can really help so many people. But then I figured out that as an investigator, as a researcher, as a scientist, you can actually invent drugs that can impact the life of millions. So I decided that instead of becoming a physician, I should become a scientist. I love it. What uh, did your parents have? What kind of cancer? Well, my mother, I don't even remember. I think it was a bladder cancer, which was very rare. Then, you know, back then, it was more than 30 years ago, the imaging abilities were not great. Mm -hmm. So there was no MRI, no PET. There is only CT, which was not very accurate back then, but there was x-rays. And I think that it started by having some pain, abdominal pain. And, you know, I think physicians back then thought it's uh, something related to stones in the gallbladder. And apparently the x-ray was not very accurate. The CT was not very accurate back then. So there was an exploratory operation. And an exploratory operation means that you open up and you see something. You take a biopsy if you think that you see something. And then you analyze it. So the surgeon, and I remember it as it was yesterday. It's over 30 years. And I re- When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're going to love it. Remember that, that the surgeon called us like maybe 45 minutes after the operation started and basically said, listen, we opened up. We saw this is a cancer. It's going to spread dramatically. We saw already spots on the liver as well. And it will take about five months. So that was very, very, you know, direct response of a surgeon. And we said, five months? For what? I said, well, she won't survive five more than five months. And he was accurate. Exactly. Wow. With all the treatment, with all the new ideas there, she survived five months in one day. Wow. 
And I think that was a really good motivation for me to move into, you know, the field of, of cancer research. Yeah. I feel like Israel is very, um, very on top of a lot of this kind of research and, and um, breakthroughs. You know, the Optune device that my mom wears was uh, created yeah. by an Israeli doctor as well. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's a small country the size of New Jersey. <laughs> and so I think that innovation is very important in the country, mostly IT on the thing, but also in the biofield. I think there are lots of ideas mm-hmm. and and, you know, we love to translate them. I think from a bureaucracy standpoint, it's a little bit faster than the American bureaucracy. I think, uh, you know, people want to help and there is a lot of goodwill. Mm. And this is, you know, it's a starting point. It doesn't mean that it will be perfect, but at least it's a, it's a good starting point. Yeah, it just made me think that we're better together. I know that that's the show title, but, you know, we are good at our things, but we need other countries and other people to, to do the things that maybe we aren't as good at or can't be as quick about. So it is, it is kind I think of funny. It's a global, you know, small world right now. So mm-hmm. we see this in the corona, right? So everyone have the same problems globally. Hopefully solutions are coming. So we're optimistic. Well, I was very optimistic when I read the New York Post last week. Uh, a friend of mine sent it to me instantly. And then other family members were sending it. Because anytime there's new research that comes out on glioblastoma, they're going to send it to me. And I read this, and I was really moved by it. And I thought, this sounds absolutely brilliant. And I sent it to Jeff. I said, Jeff, find this Dr. Dan Peer. We need to speak to him immediately uh, because... I would love to know more about what you're doing. And then I know there's this mRNA that if you guys are listening right now, which obviously you are because I'm talking to you, but um, this mRNA that Dr. Dan Pierre has been working with is the basis of the COVID vaccines. And he's going to explain that in a little bit as well. But it's really fascinating that your work has led to the foundation of these vaccines. So we'll get to know a little bit about that in a minute. But first, explain this incredible breakthrough that you're having, and it's primarily for glioblastoma at the moment and ovarian cancer, correct? Right. So how long have you guys been working on this? So we have been working on this for the past around six years, maybe even seven. But, um, you know, the concept of CRISPR-Cas, the idea of genome editing, is around us in the past 10 years. Actually, this year, two very important scientists will receive in a few days the Nobel Prize in chemistry on this, I won't say discovery, but use of, of, of this uh, new approach of genome editing. The ability to have kind of a scissors that can cut the DNA and hopefully, in some cases, correct with the new template It's really remarkable. Already, there are clinical trials, as we speak, early clinical trials in rare genetic diseases where you have one gene that is involved. And basically, the mechanism behind this is that you take the uh, cells of the patient and you basically take them outside the body 
you do your experiment on those cells outside the body, you're basically using those scissors to cut the DNA and correct it, and you bring back those cells back to the patient. And in some rare genetic diseases, already some clinical trials happened, started, and it looks like to be a very promising approach. We thought maybe we should use it to cancer, basically to destroy cancer, kind of a smart chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. But instead of calling it chemotherapy, because it's not a chemotherapy, it's more like a biotherapy because we are using biology, basically mechanism that the body, that the cells in our body knows how to work with. And I'll explain better in a second. And so, and, and less toxic to the body, hopefully, hopefully. So what we have done is to use uh, basically the mRNA that encodes. So, so in a nutshell, in biology, you have the DNA, the genetic material that we have in our cells in our body, and it needs to be transcribed into a messenger RNA or this mRNA, and the, the cells in the body know how to translate this genetic code into a protein. So the biological dogma is that you have a DNA, okay, which has all the secrets, all our genes are there. Then you have the mRNA, which is one level below that, which is a copy kind of a copy of the DNA in a simpler words. And then this mRNA will be translated into a functional protein. Okay? So if this is the dogma and what's happened in Corona is, for example, the mRNA vaccines that Moderna and Pfizer are now developing are based on an mRNA that could encode for a protein named spike, the spike protein of the Corona. And basically against this protein, when this mRNA entered the cells, it will be translated into this protein of the corona. And then the immune system will recognize it and will basically form antibodies against it. So this is the vaccine approach. So does the mRNA act like an editing system? It goes in and it edits? It doesn't edit. It's being translated by the body. So already the cells know how to translate mRNA. It's a process that happens every minute in our life. In every cell, we always translate proteins based on an mRNA template. But this is completely artificial. What we are bringing is synthetic completely. So it's not a real mRNA, Mm -hmm. like a biological mRNA, but it's a chemistry, chemical modified mRNA. And if you now give it to a cell and the cell start to translate it, it mm. translates it to a protein that cuts the DNA like a scissors. Oh, wow. Okay, so inside the cells, now you have tiny scissors that can cut the DNA. Now, in a ideal world, you want to correct the DNA. But in cancer, you know, there are genes that are really responsible for cells to proliferate. Mm-hmm. Basically, genes that are um, drivers of proliferation and they're really overexpressed. So what we want to do is to cut them. We don't need to correct them. If we cut them efficiently enough, the cell will die because now it cannot proliferate. Mm -hmm. And if it dies, it dies. So it cannot recover from this 
incidents, which is a traumatic incidence in the DNA. So what we thought, maybe we should utilize this approach of gene editing in cancer, which is, you know, it's a bit rare because usually this approach was only worked on what we call monogenic diseases, diseases that have one gene responsible. Like what? Like um, thalassemia, single cell anemia, uh, in the future also Duchenne muscular dystrophy, okay, which is really a devastating disease for kids. Um, So you have one gene and you want to cut it, take it outside and correct it with a new version, with a new clear template that eventually will produce a normal healthy protein. Mm -hmm. In our case, we want to encode to something that is a scissor that very specifically cut the DNA of those genes that are responsible for the cell proliferation. So are you creating these mRNA, synthetic synthetic mRNAs that you then implant into the person to go in, translate, cut? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Got it. And now how we do this is kind of a science fiction. <laughs> Just imagine the, the uh, you know, like a small submarine that will be inside, floating inside the body. We basically coat those mRNA, we protect them. So we coat them with uh, lipids, like tiny bubbles, and then we give them an address. On the surface of those tiny bubbles that you can inject, and until now I just described you the coronavirus uh, vaccine, mRNA wrapped with with those tiny lipids, bubbles. Okay, until now, it's exactly like the corona. But now when I put on the surface a GPS system, kind of, that recognizes the right cells, only the cancer cells, while leaving naive cells, healthy cells, untouched. Now I can administrate this. And then in the bloodstream, they will find a way to the cancer cells. Or... If we do it in glioblastoma, that will be local injection into the tumor bed. And they will find their way as well. So if you inject it into the tumor, do you expect that the result it will be, it will spread in there? So what we have, you know, we are skeptical scientists. So we, we did this experiment. We wanted to see how easy is for those particles to really disseminate inside the tumor. Because in glioblastoma, you know, it's not one tumor. So so you have initially one tumor, but then it can metastasize inside the brain. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to see how far these guys can go inside the brain and can really recognize the the tumor cells. And All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days, and I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor, and it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios, and then I got addicted, and now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier 
kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them. We found out that they can very nicely... um, I would say recognize their their uh, tumor cells, and we saw very nice effect. We also saw that healthy cells in the brain, adjacent cells, are fine, so they're not impacted by this cutting, which so is by huge the DNA because being the, uh, destroyed. Yeah, but that's amazing because the problem with chemo is that the chemo kills the good cells and the bad cells. And that's why we have such difficulties when you're on chemo. Um, So that's why the Optune device has been such a godsend for us because it really only attacks the unhealthy cells. So this would be kind of the next step because obviously if you can cut each of the cancer cells and, uh, and absolutely kill them forever, I mean, that would stop metastasizing and that would stop the cancer. Yeah, that's exactly the idea. So, you know, you have to be, it's a very tricky situation, you know, between what we can do in an animal model and what we want to do in humans, Mm -hmm. right? So still animal models are animal models. They are models. In order to translate this into human trials, Unfortunately, that will take us a little bit more time. We are really fast in this. So we try to push our technologies into the clinic as fast as we can. However, in this case, we will need to verify. First, we need to scale up a little bit the technology. I think this is doable. Second thing is we need to secure enough resources to do this. And the third one is we need to do all the talk studies before we inject into humans. So regulatory agencies like the FDA, they want to see, and I think they're right, you know, all the data that support that there are no issues with new strategies, and specifically that you're manipulating the DNA. This is a gene therapy approach. We call it gene therapy, but we are basically destroying the gene. Okay, so it's not really a therapy. We're actually uh, cutting a gene. Mm-hmm. Okay, You can call it therapy at, at the end. But uh, basically, this editing of the genome or the gene, I think it's, it's a dramatic breakthrough in general. And hopefully, we will be able to translate this also in clinical data. And I think, you know, we always have what we call the Mickey Mouse effect. So we know how to treat mice. But unfortunately, you know, between this and translating this into human, it takes some time. Yeah. Why did you guys decide that GBM, glioblastoma, would be the cancer you would work with and ovarian cancer? Why those two? Okay. So GBM, we have started working on GBM, uh, about 10 years ago. We're the first to show that you can actually silence genes in GBM that has therapeutic value that was published about five years ago. 
And that model was, again, was in mice and was easy model, much less aggressive than the one that we use now. So very focused model. And we inject directly into the tumor bed. And we show that we can silence a gene. This gene is very important, again, for cell proliferation in GBM. But we also saw it has a therapeutic value. So the survival is a little bit better. And we haven't seen any, you know, adverse effect that um, could be expected. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because you have to continue giving this treatment that we have developed to silence the gene every three or four days. You That's can't not do realistic. that. Yeah, you can't do that because you can't open up someone's head every three to four days. Or you can leave a cannula there and you have to drop you have dropped that, but this is not quality of life. Yeah. So we said, okay, let's, in parallel, we were working on this genome editing approach. Let's cut the DNA. So we, we don't have to silence something that comes up later on. We need to cut it one time. And this is what we have done. A single administration is enough to influence the survival by 30%. What will be if we'll do two administration? So this is an experiment that we're doing now. In ovarian cancer, we did twice in metastatic ovarian, and the improvement was to 80% survival. So we increased, and also we got some healthy uh, mice as well. So basically, we believe that you don't need a lot of injections. Probably, you know, probably we'll need to check it more, but it seems that it's very effective. So we want to be effective and safe because one thing is important. It's not only, you know, extending the life of patient, the lifespan. It's also improving the quality of life. Mm-hmm. It's dramatically important. So if you're a GBM patient and you have to wear this helmet, okay, for 16 hours a day, that's not great, you know. Yeah. Although it's improved dramatically because the original helmet was really heavy and it wasn't really comfortable. Which one is that? There are a few. Yeah, there's, there's one from Weber that I'm, uh, I'm ordering now. Have you heard about the Weber ones? No. Um, but what I'm saying, you want to improve the quality of life. So you yeah. don't want to stick with the helmet. Totally. Even, even not, you know, for two hours a day. Yeah. You want to make sure that you have a treatment that is effective. You do it once every, I don't know, three or four years of the maintenance therapy, and that's it. And you can continue your everyday work. And of course, I'll be naive, but I have to be optimistic, you know, because in our field, cancer researchers are the optimistic people, because if not, we will not work. So I think that, you know, we are much uh, nicer than uh, any oncologist for example, <laughs> because they might be realistic as well. Optimistic, but realistic. We should be naive and, and optimistic. I love it. Um, what could go wrong? When you think about your research, you always have to think of what could go wrong, right? You're altering DNA, and there's probably a lot of controversy around altering DNA. But are we altering or are we killing just the bad stuff, Right. Good point. So we are killing the cancer cells. The question we have to ask ourselves every day is, are we killing also 
good cells, mm-hmm. like adjacent cells that are non-cancerous. And so we have done those experiments, and at least in the animal level, we have so shown that we are not entering those cells. So the specificity is very high of our system. However, of course, in a human trial, this is something you have to test. You have to see that you're not killing or not altering the DNA, even accidentally, by adjacent cells to the tumor. And I think this is a very important question that must be addressed clinically. So in a preclinical model, like in mice or rats, whatever, that's fine. But in the clinic, this question needs to be answered before any drug will be approved. Mm-hmm. This is why it takes a little bit more time than, than usual. You know, again, translation is, is a very tricky situation. Mm-hmm. You have to translate um, and you have to extrapolate. You extrapolate from your um, animal data or your preclinical data and you assume many assumptions that sometimes are correct into human and sometimes are completely incorrect. So I think to mitigate risks, you have to do it carefully in a step-by-step approach to make sure you check mark everything on the way to make sure that everything is right and you don't create any problems to the patient. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, as you probably know, from your mother, there there are quite a lot of GBM patients in the world, okay? We have been approached by many all the time. And patients and, of course, their family that are very, very supportive, they ask lots of questions. They all want to be guinea pigs in those experiments. Mm -hmm. And we always tell, tell them, guys, let's wait a little bit. Let's see, you know that we're doing the right thing to make sure that there are no extra risk here. So since everything is new and also in this technology. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. We have to look and to be very critical in all the potential risks that can happen and to make sure that we are covered and we are sure that this is a safe system. And so if we do the right things and we get you know, this check mark approved step by step, we will be in a position to offer potentially new therapy to patients, which is very, very important to us. Do you think this will work for other cancers as well? 
So this is a very good uh, question. So our next goal, except from this, is to go after specific blood cancers. And why? We're looking for specific genetic hallmarks in different types of cancers. You know, also in GBM, there are some genes that are responsible. There, We call them driver genes, okay, that are driving the tumor. Um, and if we cut them, and it's not a single gene, but you can do several genes, if we cut them, that could stop the tumor completely. And we are looking for those genes. So in a nutshell, I would say that we are increasing the probability of going into what we call personalized medicine, because we will check in each patient, we will have like an inclusion criteria or basically also exclusion criteria, looking at patients and their samples. So when the patient goes or basically is under surgery, usually a biopsy is taken, right? In order to identify which tumor, what are the profile of the tumor, we learn a lot from this. And we want to make sure that we are cutting the right genes. The beauty of the approach with an mRNA and also a guide RNA, which I haven't mentioned, is that you can actually personalize your treatment and it's easy to do this. So you don't have to redesign a new drug. You just need to change a few bases in your code, your genetic code. Wow. And so to do this, it's not the development of a new drug from scratch. Okay, you just modified some bases and you synthesize them again in a, in a new format. So this should not change the cost as well of this treatment. Mm-hmm. But again, it's still early to talk about this, but you know, I'm very optimistic because for years I've been preaching to the fact that we are different. We look different, we feel different, and there is no good reason to give every set of people suffering from the same disease, the same drugs. Yes, <laughs> I agree. It's supposed to be individualized. Exactly. So I think we are getting there already. In some diseases, we can fit the right therapy to the patient profile. But I'm talking about another level, which is maybe a higher level. And again, maybe I'm very optimistic and very naive. But I do think that there will come a time, and I'm not talking about 20 years from now, much before that, that the treatment must be personalized, must fit your own genetic profile, because if not, you will act differently, Mm -hmm. right? If I have a headache, I can take Tylenol and I feel great, or I can take a shot of whiskey and I'll feel even better, right? (laughs) So everyone reacts differently to drugs. Therefore, I see no reason to give everyone the same protocol. If you have GBM, you know, you undergo a surgery and then you have to get uh, radiation and chemotherapy. And, and this is a standard protocol before they start to add, you know, more and more drugs on you or more strategies. I think that we should profile the tumor, see what's going on and see how we can help. Can we tailor made something that cuts the DNA? Or can we put this with immuno-oncology, another strategy? Or 
combination therapy, but everything needs to be personalized mm-hmm. because the chances of success will be higher. The problem is that sometimes you have to convince regulatory agencies that N equals one is the clinical experiment, right? So you have one patient that is exactly like this, and you have another one which is completely different. Yeah. So how many patients do you have in this study? 20, 100, each one is a new trial, basically. And I think that now the regulatory agencies start to understand this. It's not only the FDA or the European Medical Agency, it's globally. Mm -hmm. It's something that we start to understand that we are entering this amazing era, which is really remarkable, which we can play with our genes and we can cut them, we can edit them, maybe we can change them a little bit, maybe we can silence them. We have so many opportunities, but we have to understand what we're doing and try to make sure that we're not harming the patient. Yeah. What do you think with GBM, since you've worked with it for so long, why do you think it is such a fast-growing cancer? You know, Once it starts to grow, it grows so quickly. Why do you think in some people it's like that? And most people. I think it metastasized very quickly, and we don't know that. So we have not seen, you know, tiny cells. It's very hard to detect. And usually you have one tumor, you take out the tumor, and you believe as a surgeon that you took all the tumor out. But already when you took the tumor out, there's tiny, tiny micrometastasis somewhere that will grow in time. And also, you know, the brain is, a, is an interesting tissue, okay? It's, it's a very unique soft tissue in some sense. And I think the diffusion there, the, the tumors can really go and penetrate very effectively, unfortunately. And so I think that it's also diagnostics issues. How can we identify not the tumor, but the cancer cell? by an individual cancer cell. I think we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the near future we will be, but this will be a dramatic revolution in diagnostics to try and identify those tiny, tiny cells that you cannot visualize with an MRI or a CT or, or a PET. Okay, so really, really tiny because we can only see quite a lot of cells together when we call them a tumor. But what about single cells? Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end, if you don't kill all the cells, or if then you have a problem because these cells can be the future of a new recurrent tumor. Mm-hmm. So, of course, if there's been you know 25 years between the tumor and you start and when you're 75, and you know, you have to die from some something when you're uh, older, but. That's fine. You know, if we can expand the life by 20, 25 years mm-hmm. in GBM, that will be remarkable, right? Oh, yeah. Right now, it's one of the poorest, uh, really, surviving cancers. And it's amazing, amazing to see that with all the technologies, with all the new knowledge still we don't have a lot of things to offer to GBM patients. Mm-hmm. Although there've been a lot of progress in medicine and in, you know, in drug development and like 
like specific um, pathway dependent new drugs and immunotherapy and all those things, if you sum up everything and you are really honest with yourself, you see that the, the, the changes are not dramatically in life expectancy. And this is very unfortunate. I think that the reason comes from the things I've described. So these are tiny tumors that metastasize very efficiently, very quickly. And so we don't have enough diagnostic tools. But I think that until now, we didn't have also major, you know, I would say gene therapy approaches that were being effective. And I think it's all in, at the end, it's all in the effectiveness of, of, of the treatments. Mm-hmm. And we know that cancer is a war. You know, there are more than 500 different types of cancers. And each one is a complete different disease with different genetics. It's complex. And if we think about like an ultimate solution, there is no ultimate solution. There is a particular solution for a particular cancer for a particular patient. So in a philosophical way, I would say that we have to make sure that each patient is being treated. As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. (laughs) Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, They keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. For his own disease and for his own genes. And I strongly believe that everything we are is our genes. Mm -hmm. Some people don't like it. I know this is a bit controversial, but I think that everything we are is representative of our genes. Yeah. And therefore, the treatment needs to be disease-specific, person-specific. So both those things needs to happen. It's not only the particular disease. It's a particular person that have this disease, particular genes that we have to alter. And if we don't think that, you know, or if we think that it will have like a global ultimate solution, we are probably very naive. Mm -hmm. What do you think about uh, sugar with brain cancer and with cancer in general? So, you know, I think that many people thought that if you starve the tumor, Uh don't give them... uh, sugar and fat and and many other things, okay? So you will choke the tumor. I think that in reality, many cells like sugars, right? All our cells. 
So at the end, I don't think it's an ultimate solution. I think it might work for some people, probably most of the people it will not work, but you don't want to starve people, right? It's, it's another stress. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that there are lots of options. Each one can, and each person needs to do whatever he likes and feel. And you can never argue with the patient, right? This is something I learned because for some people, like, you know, intermediate uh, starvation is great for them. For some people, it's disaster. Mm-hmm. So you cannot, you cannot even suggest this to a patient. Patient needs to, to do their own, I would say, titration on their self. They need to know what's good, good for them. Mm-hmm. Is it a global therapy? Unfortunately, I don't think so. I think that it will happen to, will help to some in some cases, and probably in many other it will not. But again, I'm a strong believer on therapies that are built on editing or changing or altering our genes, mm-hmm. or silencing or cutting. Yeah. Who funds your research there? So, and how do we get you more funds so we can get this on track faster? (laughs) In any academic lab, you know, we are funded by grant agencies like the NIH. um, And we are also funded by donations. We are also funded by foundations that are specific to diseases. Unfortunately, not to persons, but to disease. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable. But I've learned in my life, in my short life, I would say, that um, in order to advance things to the clinic, sometimes the easiest way is to work with a company that, you know, have enough resources um, and take your ideas into the clinic with the right people relatively faster than in any academic setting. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm saying it. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, to form a company behind a concept idea and to move this forward. Both of those strategies, I think, are a little bit better than doing everything in an academic setting, although the price tag in academic setting is much cheaper. And if you, you know, take out the overhead of companies, like we don't need a CEO and a CSO and a chief financial officer and whatever, at the end, it's cheaper and effective, more effective to do it in an academic setting with a hospital, of course, nearby. Um, but the reality that, you know, in the global world, world, I would say that mostly companies are, are pushing things to the clinic and less academic, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Or fortunately, depends on your whose side you're talking. As long as it's going to get done and quickly, because right. I am very excited about what you guys are doing. And, um, and I, I hope my mom can be a part of that trial someday. I want to ask you before I let you go, do you think that this um, will work for benign tumors like meningiomas? Well, it could. It could. It's something that, you know, you, you read, when you develop a new therapy, you, te- you look at the extreme. So you're going into the extreme situation where you don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I'm not disrespecting benign tumors. I know that could be, you know, nightmare to, to the patients as well. Uh, and I think theoretically, yes. But I think that, you know, even looking at it from a translational standpoint, for some reason, it's less investigated. Okay, because the, the it's not so critical at the end most patients can cope with this. And so as opposed to, you know, devastating diseases, seems to be to me that there is something unfair in, in benigning tumors because they are not, they are not the aggressive tumors, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and I think that um, we have, we as the community and we as, as scientists are less working on benign tumors because, you know, it's less exciting for some reason to cure somebody from something that would probably not kill him. Mm-hmm. Although it really depends. It could also kill you. So mm-hmm. it really depends where, the location and everything yeah. else. But in general... I'll tell you that I think that they suffer from bad branding, benigning tumors. Mm-hmm. I think that needs to be, you know, more motivation for scientists to work on them, for pharma and biotech industry to take part in trying to understand better why they're happening and probably how to cure them better because they're a burden as well mm-hmm. to the patient. So I think they're just misbranded for some reason. Wow. That's a fascinating take. Yeah, because the only solution is uh, surgery. Like for myself, I had surgery and there's a little left. um, And my only option is radiation. But I don't want to radiate my young, healthy brain. I am very against it. I think it's unsafe. Yeah, I think you're correct. Yeah. So I think that if, you know, potentially, I think that a, approach that is um, altering the DNA of the specific uh, uh, benigning tumor is a good approach, potentially a good approach. Mm-hmm. It's to be investigated. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear, you know, it's funny in, in our country, and I don't know in Israel what the standard of care is, but in, in our country, the standard of care for benign or cancerous tumors is, you know, surgery, radiation, and then if you have a cancerous, it's chemo and whatever. Um, right. But I I saw my mom after surgery, she was great. After radiation, she was not great. And I hold a great fear of radiation because of that. And they what I see is they have nothing else to offer. And so they only offer what they can and then they hope for the best. Right. So uh, as I mentioned, these are less branded tumors. They need to have somebody who will shout, shout, work on us. It's important. We have people that are, unhappy from the situation that they have a tumor inside their body, inside the brain. Although it's probably not going to kill them, but we don't like it. So if somebody will, you know, be 
be the person behind this, create a foundation or something that will invest money in, in research in this field, it will be amazing because that will drive, will be a driving force for scientists in the academia and in industry to work on this. And if people are working on something, solutions are coming. Look what happened in 250 days in Corona. Yeah. Okay, less than a year, remarkable achievements, right? From a concept idea into phase one, phase two, phase three, less than a year. It's unbelievable. So I strongly believe you put together good brains of people, okay, with funding and with a problem and people will solve it. But you have to focus on this. So, so there is a focus event. Yeah. What happened in the corona is a global event, okay, that changes. You know, one small virus changed the entire world. Oh, yeah. So oh, I yeah. think that we now appreciate that biology is important, much more than we thought a few years ago. But we also appreciate that solutions can come on stress situation. When you're really stressed, when the world is in stress, scientists can pick up this idea and you know create solutions that hopefully will be as effective as we hope to see and we see right now some data but um i'm as i mentioned i'm an optimistic person so for me i think that if there is a problem we need to solve a problem but we need help to focus on what to solve. Mm -hmm. There are so many problems in the world, right? Yeah. You need to make sure that people are working on your problem in order to um, focus on this. And the question about the why I chose those two tumors is that the, the first one, as I mentioned, we're working for many years. And the second one is personal. Of course, I knew somebody who had ovarian cancer it's my mother-in-law, and she passed away very young, like 50-something years old. And to me, that was, again, many years ago, but still, I thought that my kids will not see their uh, grandmother. And I think this is very sad because they haven't seen their grandmother from my side as well. Yep. So I thought that, you know, it's important problem. So we need to work on important problems. Well... Professor Dan Peer, thank you so much for spending time with us and for explaining this. And, and if I didn't make it very clear, your lab was the first to discover that mRNA can be delivered to specific cells. And that is the basis of this COVID vaccine that we're going to be seeing. So thank you for your incredible work because... Um, we definitely need these COVID vaccines and quickly. And we definitely need... Um, these experiments and this research that you're doing to work for glioblastoma, ovarian cancer, and hopefully so many more. So thank you. Um, we will keep in touch with you as you progress and continue to follow your uh, success here. Thank you so much for having me and be well. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you need to know about Dr. Dan Peer's lab. You can check out dan Dot tau dot ac dot il backslash 
for ease, we will put that in the summary of this episode so you can just click it. And I'm sure if they go there, Dan, they can donate if they'd like to your research um, as well, right? Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. All right. Well, that was very educational. Oh, my gosh. I loved that interview so much, Maria. I'm such a nerd for this stuff. And gosh, for him to articulate so specifically that individual people need individual care, Mm -hmm. if that's not the thesis statement of our show, you know? Yep. Exactly. Unbelievable. I love that. Yeah. Um, so fascinating. I mean, I could have talked to him for hours. I wanted to know like what doctors he works with here, but I know he has some heart out. I know you guys were trying to communicate with me, but I don't know what you were trying to say. But um, uh, yeah, I think um, we will keep tabs on him and we will um, we will follow his progress. I have a good feeling about this one. Me too. Yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, I think with the COVID vaccine, gene altered techniques and therapies are really the future. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I just, I so agree with everything he's saying. I was, I only took like basic biology in high school, but I remember we did a unit on gene therapy. And at that time it was like, this is the next precipice of medical breakthrough. And I think his research, such a privilege to have him on the show, because I do think he is a mover and shaker and thought leader in this space. And mm-hmm. I think he's the future of health really, if we're being honest. Yeah. I, um, I'm really excited. You found him. Good job, Jeff. Thanks, Maria. Good um, job, Jeff. If you, you, put me, you steered me in the right direction. So it was easy. <laughs> I was like, Jeff, find him, get him. <laughs> and then he was like, Oh, like a few minutes later, got him. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's funny Google because people were texting me the articles. Oh, my back. People were texting me the articles and I'm like, Oh yeah, we're already in touch. He's going to be on the show. And they're like, what? You guys move so fast. I was like, yes, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, but it, it was kind of like so funny when we first started talking and he's like, you know, in Israel, we can move a little faster. There's less bureaucracy. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're better together. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. Um, so anyhow, um, thank you all for joining us and thank you for being with us here on this journey as we get better together. I hope this episode gives you hope. It gives me a lot of hope. If you haven't joined us on Patreon yet, please do. We have, of course, ad-free shows. We have extra shows. But the biggest thing I think that we can offer you are these exclusive workshops and healing events with the guests that we have on this show, which you know are world-renowned healers and gurus and thought leaders um, that you have proximity to in these um, these zooms that we do with them and they're very intimate and amazing and you can be a part of that with your patreon membership just click the link tree to um on my instagram or on better together with maria if you haven't followed us there please do kelsey's killing it over there making sure you guys have a lot of inspirational content and helpful content that you can take away with you during the day um, if you like today's episode, check out episode number 38 with Jennifer Mealy. She is the co-founder and director of Baja Medgate. That is the Mexico facility that I took my mom to uh, twice um, for treatments and helped turn her around and put her on an incredible track. We have had incredible success with my mom uh, over four years in with glioblastoma and I really do give a huge credit to Jennifer and her team there 
for optimizing my mom's immune system so that the amazing work that Cedars is doing with Dr. Rudnick and Dr. Black, it's like this amazing compliment, this like great team. So uh, I think you'll find that episode really fascinating. In the meantime, you can follow us at Better Together with Maria at Jeffrey Crane Graham at Kels Meyer too. And remember, be nice people, make good choices and be present. Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much and we love doing this thing called life with you.